Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Mark Nelson, who during his near-death experience went to a dark place, and today we're going to learn about it. Mark, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey, very much. And um, yeah, my experience started when I was a, a really young, young person. Um, at the age of 12, 13, uh, I had a very traumatic experience and, and had sort of a, uh, what would be called a, a spirit come and enter me. Uh, and my mom called it either a spirit of death um, and then a spirit of fear of death. And, uh, at that point I, I started developing all kinds of things coming in my mind, Jeffrey, like, uh, uh, perversion and all kinds of things happening that was really dark and really of a, a different place than I had ever experienced. You know, I was raised up in the church. And, uh, so I, I sort of lived the life, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I knew about God, I knew about Jesus uh, I, I, I followed their teachings. I, I did all that. But at the age of 13, I had this experience and, and it all went the other direction. And I started experiencing a, a, a many things that were very dark and part of the dark realm. And I started experiencing a lot of perversion uh, entering my mind. And, and it really drove me at the age of 13 into having a lot of gender confusion uh, where I thought I was actually living uh, in a woman's body. And I felt very much like a woman. Uh, trapped in a man's body. And uh, so I moved into that position of, of just uh, uh, moving into a place of having more of a, a homosexual identity, a gay identity, and started living in homosexuality. Um, and from uh, uh, about 20 years, I lived with I identity. And, and I was in and out of relationships and, and having a lot of fun and and just living the good life. You know, I was I was drinking. I was, and, and I had I had different experiences during those times. But um, really, it all started coming together in 2005. Um, I had I had been off at college, and uh, I was uh, in a, a, a relationship with with a guy. I was leaving uh, a gay bar, and I was driving home from this gay bar, and I physically felt this move of my vehicle into the parking lot of a church. Uh, that was right off the side of the road. And I, I actually physically felt myself being pulled into the sanctuary of that church. And I feel, felt full conviction by what is now what I now know is the Holy Spirit. And I started just feeling so bad about what I'd been through, what I'd gone through. And uh, I left that church that night committed to live my life 
better and to do and to do better and to be better in his eyes. And for the next three years, that's what I did. I, I lived life uh, uh, committed to God again. I remained in homosexual relationships, uh, but I was uh, active in a, a gay affirming church. So I felt like I was I was doing it right on both sides. And um, and it was it was actually in late 2007. So two years after this ex- first experience that I uh, started experiencing a lot of health issues and uh, I was not feeling well at all. And uh, October, November of 2007, um, there were just days and days and days that I would be sick. I could not get rid of the sickness. I would be sick for seven, eight, nine days. And, and really it, it, it was it was just building up, building up, building up. And uh, towards towards the end of December, I wasn't able to even really uh, uh, function. I, I could not walk uh, too far without having to sit down and, and take a breather and take a rest. Uh, well, in February of 2008, um, I was at a, an event for my, uh, who I then uh, uh, worked for, which, which was a former first lady of the United States, Barbara Bush. I was working for the Barbara Bush Foundation, and I was at an event in South Florida for the Barbara Bush Foundation, and I started, I, I, couldn't, even, I couldn't even move. I, I, my lungs just started uh, deteriorating that, that night so fast. So by the time I was taken back to my home in Tallahassee, so from the south part of the state to the north part of the state, um, I was just going down so fast. My, my health was just going down so fast. So I went straight to the, uh, the urgent care center initially, and they told me that I had bronchitis uh, and that they gave me some antibiotics. They said that it's because of my years of smoking um, and drinking and all this, that, that this is all built up and I've had, I'm having these health issues because of that. And I just have infection that needs to be taken care of. So they gave me antibiotics. I went home. I, uh, I started taking them. They get, got me a little bit better, but they weren't doing really nothing for me. Um, so I went back a week later. And, uh, at that point they told me that both my lungs had collapsed and that I needed to get to the, uh, the ER immediately. And so I, I was rushed to the emergency room uh, there in Tallahassee, and uh, I was uh, checked in. And of course, the first thing the doctor asked me is, "Is have you have you been involved with any any uh, lifestyle that could cause any anything like this to occur, any sickness?" And so I started revealing what what I, my lifestyle was and all that. Well, they took blood work and blood tests, and then they. Uh, put me in a regular room uh, there at the hospital. And, and two days later, uh, Dr. Wallerberg came in and, and just said that I had AIDS and that my viral load was in the millions of copies. Um, I believe he said like 4 million copies of the virus, viral load. And my CD4 count, my fighter cells, my CD4 count was in the single digits. And he said, your, your organs are failing and there's really nothing we could really do for you at this point other than let your body rest. So they really let, left me in this regular room on oxygen um, just to see how my body could react to some of the drugs they were giving me. And uh, for two weeks in this room uh, at the hospital, I started experiencing a really uh, interaction with the dark realm, with, with uh, dark spirits coming in my room and, and really speaking death over me. And and mind you, back when I was 13, um, I had been—I had the spirit of death come inside of me at that point, and I was telling everybody 
around me, all my family, all my friends, that I would not live to see 33. And so here I'm 32, I'm in the hospital. I've already have been speaking this over me for for the last 20 years that I was gonna die before I saw the age of 33. So I'm 32, I'm sitting in this regular room, I'm laying in this regular room, and every night for those two weeks I laid there, uh, this dark spirit would come in every night and just start attacking me, both in my mo- both in my mind and just around my body, bringing death into my life. It was it was just a it was an experience that I could only describe as a, a, I could see this dark movement going around my bed, and I, it, when it, when that happened, my body was in full chaos. And you know I, I went back and and looked at the, the medical notes, and I could see that the doctors were also noting that my body was not getting any rest because my body was in full chaos during the the nightly hours during the, from, from 7 PM until 7 AM. They said my body was unable because I was, uh, my body was in full duress. Well, that was only confirmation that I was really under attack. I was being attacked uh, completely. Well, uh, after the two weeks uh, it went by, uh, Walderberger came back, Dr. Walderberger came back in my room and he said, uh, Mark, there's nothing more that we could do for you. Um, and he said that the only, our only option is to induce you into a coma and intubate you and put you on life support. Um, and then that way your body can rest. It won't be in chaos because you'll be resting. And so we could really work on trying to get your body healed because all the organs were gone. I was on dialysis. I was on double chest tubes. Uh, my, all my, my liver was failing. So everything was just shutting down. So they really needed my body to rest. Well, before Walderberger said, before we, we do this though, you need to call your dad and mom because I had no one, uh, well, I had no one there, uh, family there to really make decisions for me. And so I picked up the phone that night. I called my mother, um, and uh, and my dad was there too. And I, I said I, I could only say one word because I was on oxygen. I had to put oxygen back on me. So all I said was "Mom," and she responded that we already know where you're at. She said the Holy Spirit has told us you're in a bad place, and she said we have been praying for you day and night and fasting uh, while we've been praying. So they had already been told by the Holy Spirit they've, that for years that they've, they've been in the church. So they have had long history of, of interacting with the Holy Spirit. So they said the Holy Spirit has already told us where you're at. And we've been praying for you. And they, they mentioned the time frame. And it was just the same amount of time that I've been, you know, fighting this infection and in the hospital. So I, she, says, she says, do you want us to come up? Because they're in, they're in Daytona Beach, right down here where I live now. And I was all the way up at Tallahassee. And, and she said, do you want us to come up there? And, and I said, no. And uh, really that was sort of that dark thing in me that, that said no, because I really needed them there. I needed someone to fight on my behalf and really call on, on, the, the, on, on the name of Jesus to bring, bring me, me new life. So I said, no, I hung up the phone, uh, but then my brother, uh, my oldest brother uh, ended up calling uh, my friend who was who brought me to the hospital, and he asked her. He said, "What is going on?" And she finally told him that I had AIDS and that I was in very serious condition. 
So my brother Paul rallied everybody in the family, my parents, the whole family came up to Tallahassee uh, from Daytona Beach, and they just were rushed into the, the waiting room uh, when they arrived. And uh, Walderberg came in to, to visit with them first before they let them back to see me. Uh, he wanted to talk to them about the situation. And uh, Walderberger said that there was zero hope in me living, me surviving this. There was zero hope. And my older brother, Paul, who, who actually found out first, he said, we don't believe that. We have faith in God that he could be healed. And so that's where that was left. So my parents were the first to come in my hospital, my ICU, my hospital room, which was an ICU. And my mom and, uh, and dad, my mom describes just coming up to my bedside uh, to lay hands on me to pray. And she was physically pushed away by uh, the enemy, the demonic, Satan. And she heard Satan say to her, get away from him, he's mine. Get away from him, he's mine. So she was just physically pushed away at that point. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit told them that they were entering a war zone and this was going to be, be, be a battle between life and death, heaven and hell. And they said you real, they really needed to get themselves into what the, the Word of God says and start really reading what the Word of God says, the promises of Scripture over my body. So uh, that's what they did. And so I was in a coma for 22 days, and that's what they did day and night. They were speaking the life found and what the word of God says. So they were they were just filling my name into, you know, like Mark will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Greater is he that is in Mark than he that is in the world. And Mark is more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens him. So they were speaking these words over me. And while I was in a coma, I felt this constant pull between life and death, heaven and hell. I was going in between light and dark. I was going between chaos and peace. It was a constant movement. So I knew I knew the enemy, even while I was in the coma, Satan was still in control of the situation. I felt his presence all around me in the coma. It was a very dark presence. It was pushing dark thoughts in, into my mind. I was having all these dreams while I was in the coma that were very dark. And so it, it was definitely not uh, anything of God. So there was just this constant movement between life and death, heaven and hell. And so on the... Uh, that happened for, you know, multiple days, multiple days. What well, was on the night of March 22nd, 2008. So it was actually 14 years ago yesterday uh, that uh, the nurse came in that, that day. And they said, Mark, uh, that they, they were talking about me. They said, Mark is in complete chaos. His body is, is in constant torment. And we need to keep his hands tied to the bed at all times. He, they said that if my hands were ever untied and my body started to convulse and I was able to flail my arms around, I could pull the life support out of my throat. And she said, I would surely die. They said that would be it. It would be over with. There would be nothing we could do. He would be dead. And so at that very moment, my parents share that the Holy Spirit told them that that's the way Satan was going to take me that night. That's the way Satan was going to take me. And uh, it was only about 30 minutes later that this nurse comes in my room, my ICU, and my dad had never seen her before, and he never saw her again. 
And she came in there and she untied my hands. And the enemy, Satan, sent that nurse in there. Because like I said, my dad had never seen her before. And he never saw her again. And both my parents were at the hospital all the time. And when she untied my hands, my dad said, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, my dad says, you're not supposed to do that. The, the nurses said to keep his hands tied at all times. And the nurse responded with just a few words. She says, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. And uh, Jeffrey, it was about 20 minutes later that I flailed my arms and I self-extubated myself. I pulled all the tubes out of my throat. And my dad uh, was pushed out of the room and he just witnessed this flat line, uh, code blue, gurney dropped to the floor. And, uh, and I, I, I experienced this separation from my body. It was, it was almost like my soul was breathed out of my body. It was a, a complete separation. And uh, initially I just hovered at the, the top corner of this ICU and I saw two nurses come in, drop the gurney to the floor, and they were working on bringing me back. Um, I didn't realize until later it was actually 22 minutes that they were working on me. But during the 22 minutes from self-extubation and flatline to when they had me stabilized, um, I had this experience that was near death. And uh, initially I, I said I went and just hovered over the top of this ICU but after just a minute or so, I quickly transitioned into a place of darkness. Um, I didn't really know where I was at, but in, in, in like seconds, I, start, I, I sensed and I saw this piercing light ahead of me. And I started moving towards this light. And as I was moving towards the light, I started seeing different scenes of my past. It was almost like I was in a, uh, almost like in a movie how the, the film clips were just going by very quickly, but it was just moving through my past. And I really started seeing uh, really in depth different areas of my life where I was separated from God while I was on earth, you know, and, and, and all the ways I was acting out sexually and all the ways that I was carousing with, with drinking and doing drugs and all that area of my life, I started seeing those different scenes just pop up when I was in this space. And then immediately I transitioned into complete darkness. I could not see nothing. I could not, nothing was around me. But I started hearing these screaming and these cries for help, starting echoing all around me, different voices screaming out, help me, help me, help me, all around me. Everyone's screaming for help. And uh, at that very moment, I started, my own body started getting physical attacks like punches and pulls to my body i was getting uh physical blows to my head and i really felt that i was I, I felt that i was entering the gates of hell that i was being dragged into hell um because it was almost like i was being pulled and punched and kicked and i was being dragged in to a place that i was hearing these screams were getting louder and louder like i was getting closer to them so I, I felt that I was being dragged into the gates, into, the, into hell and through these gates of hell. And, uh, you know, at that very moment, Jeffrey, all I could think of to do was, was to cry out to Jesus. You know, when I was younger, 
I grew up in the church. I knew what it was all about. I had a lot of head knowledge, but I didn't have a lot of heart knowledge. So it wasn't really found deep in my heart. So all I could do is cry out Jesus. So that's all I said. I said one word. I said, Jesus. And and immediately after that, Jeffrey, I, all I heard him say was, I'm here. And and he said, he said, I'm here. And in that very instant, my soul went back into my physical body. And I saw him with my own eyes. This is when my eyes sort of saw things. I saw this wind of the Holy Spirit come in my ICU. I mean, this, this wind that was so heavy that it, it physically picked up Satan and the demonic and it removed them from ICU that day. And, uh, you know, the next day was, it was March 23rd, which is actually today, 14 years ago, uh, which happened to be Easter Sunday, which Easter Sunday in the Christian faith is like the day of days. It's like the day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus uh, on Easter Sunday. So for this experience to, to culminate and, and take place on that day, uh, when I physically saw this wind come in and remove everything dark from me, um, it was just, it was an amazing miracle. And so um, on that day, March 23rd, my body started to physically heal very quickly. Um, I had, uh, my lungs were restored. Uh, my kidneys were restored. Uh, Every part of my physical body that was failing was restored, and uh, I started. I started. It was able to start walking again and talking again. Um, I had lost all my function of you know eating. I was on. I, I was on, of course, a feeding tube. So I, I had to learn to eat again and all that. So it was a. It was a process, but my body quickly healed, and I. I. I was living out in, in sort of this world of peace at this point. And, you know, it was really documented in the medical reports uh, because the lead nurse, Susan, uh, noted in the medical reports that when she left me on Friday before that weekend, she said my body was in complete chaos. She said my body was in duress and my I was just in constant chaos. So that confirmed that control of the from the demonic side. But then she said when I re when she returned on Monday, she said I had the biggest smile on my face. So I had, I had really been in the presence. I had, I had moved into the presence of Jesus through a, a miraculous uh, battle that was going on for my life between Satan and God. And so it, it all culminated that day on the 23rd of March. I, uh, while I was in rehab, Jeffrey, I, I asked uh, my wife, uh, my, my now wife, who was my friend then, who actually took me to the hospital, uh, Beth, I asked her if she would marry me. And uh, we married that same year in 2008, and we've been just working in ministry and doing what God has called us to do, and that is to share the truth, that, that his promises are real, that his word is true, and that he is there for everyone who calls on his name. But that is, that's pretty much the, the, the general story of my uh, experience. Mark, thank you for sharing your experience with us. You have a fascinating story because recently I've been talking to different guests about entities and entity attachments. Have you thought about why you were attacked by an entity or why they attached to you at such a young age in the first place? Well, uh, after uh, interacting and sharing this story with uh, people uh, 
pastors and, and counselors and things like that. Um, when I was younger, I had a, um, um, I had uh, really grown up uh, with a uh, being the youngest of four brothers, and uh, all my older brothers were really masculine, and they uh, were my father. My father was close to them, and so I was sort of the young kid, and I I started attaching onto more effeminate qualities in my life. I was I was acting in, in, in a different way than what my brothers were acting. And I really believe that because of that, I was I was bullied very severely. I was I was uh, from a young age uh, called different things, and and I started developing a very strong spirit of pride inside of me. And I really think the enemy came through a spirit of pride uh, uh -huh. that really developed and attached onto me at that point. And uh, and and that was that became very clear because to protect myself from those attacks, I had to build myself up. And it was through that that I believe at that point I started being very much um, uh, overzealous with the idea that I I could control my own life, I could be in charge, and I could I could live life separated from anything God had for me. And so I, I think at that point when I turned my back on the church and I turned my back on God was when uh, I started having these attachments uh, from these more evil spirits. Uh, and, and really brought on the spirit of death from an early age. I could see that when a person starts to consume alcohol and drugs, it makes it much more easier for them to be attacked by entities or have them attached to you. Do you think as your life progressed, more attached to you? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I, I, at the age of 12, 13, I started drinking, and then uh, it, it, it turned into a, 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 an addiction to pornography, and then uh, drugs while I was in college and, and, and through that process. So I, I agree. I think it was, there was a lot of entities that were building on me during those years. Mm. Um, it was a solid, uh, close to 13 years at that point of, of doing alcohol and drugs, uh, combined. Mm. Wow. I didn't realize that you had start consuming at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I, I grew up, uh, my father was, um, uh, a deep sea fisherman. And so I grew up working, uh, at the age of 13 on, on the fishing boats. And, uh, it was very much an, uh, accessible thing to do, uh, is to start drinking and when you're out there on the ocean. And, and uh, so I, I started drinking at an early age. When you were in your coma and right before you flatlined and you popped out of your body, during that period before that, were you just kind of like unconscious and then all of a sudden you became conscious and you were jerked out of your body or were you in some kind of dream state? Well, what I was told uh, from the get-go when, when I was uh, came out of the coma that they were pulling me in the coma and out of the coma. So it was induced coma. So they were bringing me in and out just to see if my vitals were still uh, under control. So I believe that I was going in and out of different dream states because hmm. uh, I was, I I was dreaming about all these different things that were very dark. Um, I remember a lot of things happening that were uh, very, um, very much dark things, uh, like uh, other areas of my life that I could have died. I was sort of reliving those in these dreams. That I had all these different opportunities in my past that that I, I could have died at that point, so I was reliving reliving things in dreams that were very dark during those those times. But 
I think that they, I was doing that as they were pulling me in and out of the coma um, because they, they would probably each day pull me out of the coma just to check vitals and then they put me back in the coma. At any point, did your parents ever consider having an exorcism for you? No, and I don't know if they would have, uh, uh, I don't think they would have went that direction. Maybe that's because you weren't Catholic, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, I wasn't Catholic, even though my parents were raised in the Catholic Church. And uh, the year I was born in 75 is when they left the Catholic Church. And uh, they were part of the big charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. So that was sort of that big time when the Jesus movement was going on in the mm-hmm. 70s. And a lot of people were, were you know, going and, and finding and, and doing all kinds of things. And they were part of that movement. So, no, that wouldn't have ever been anything they would think of. Is the memory of that experience still with you today and, like, never leaves you? Or has it faded over the years? No, it pretty much stays with me. Yeah, I, I, I have not. It has not faded away. And, and you know, I, I, I kept this whole story uh hidden uh for about i would say 10 years so it wasn't until four years ago that i ever even started sharing anything about my past uh first and foremost i just felt shame about what i had been through um and i just didn't think it was that important uh but it was uh it was actually a a a a move of the holy spirit that I heard him speak directly to me uh, when I was uh, watching one of my devotionals at work. Uh, They were sharing about the story of Lazarus in the Bible Mm. and how Jesus, you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus was tearing for four days before he went to, to raise Lazarus. He didn't even know Lazarus had died at that point. But when he got to Lazarus, Lazarus had been in the grave four days and Jesus still called him out. Well, this gentleman who was given the devotion said that some of you that are watching this today have stones in front of your stories, and you need to roll away the stone and walk out and start sharing what God did for you. And so that very day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I heard him, I heard him very audibly say, I didn't bring you through this for you to be silent about it. Go tell your story. So that's when I actually started sharing four years ago, and, and uh, uh, but it never leaves me. It's always with me, and you know the Holy Spirit is is very real. You know when Jesus left the earth, he said, "I'm sending you a Comforter. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to be with you." So the Holy Spirit has been very active in uh, both my wife and I's lives. Uh, I could just say one really powerful moment of the Holy Spirit after we got married. Um, you know, Beth and I had only been married a short time. And I was getting all these medical bills. Uh, you know, I was in the hospital uh, three months, medical bills. And so uh, I ended up losing my house and I had to sell my vehicle. I couldn't afford it. So we literally had nothing. We were broke. And uh, we started going to a church, our first church. Uh, and uh, this couple on the first Sunday that we went there approached us and took us to lunch that day. And Jeffrey, every Sunday after that Sunday, they gave me cash. They would come up to me and just hand me cash. And they did this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Well, they brought us through some very difficult days. Well, we just saw them again two years ago, my wife and I at a a dinner, dinner event. And I asked Sandra, I said, Sandra, do you realize what you did for us? And she said, "Uh, we had no idea what your situation was, but the Holy Spirit told us you needed it. 
And so the Holy Spirit, you know, through obedience and through living for God and in right line with God, he blesses that. So we, we saw that that Holy Spirit move all the time. Are you still HIV positive? Um, well, I'm, I'm HIV undetectable. Oh, interesting. So the, the, moment, the moment I left the hospital, um, or, or that March 23rd, I was undetectable from HIV. Meaning that I still take medication, but my viral load no longer is visible. <clears throat> so my wife and I can have normal relationships. You know, we can have normal relations. Hmm. Uh, so there, there's no activity of HIV now in my body. After your experience or after you came out of the coma, were you immediately heterosexual at that time? I was. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I totally... When, when the Holy Spirit came in that ICU, he picked up the mnemonic and removed, the, removed them that day. It's almost like it totally removed everything from my mind. I no longer had perverse, perverse thoughts. You know, God, God, has, God has a design for relationships. You know, it's very clear in what he says and what the Word of God says about what he, he calls for the design of human sexuality. So I was living outside that design. I mean, it's very clear. So he wanted me back in that design. So um, when he moved in that day and the Holy Spirit moved in, all those thoughts, all those desires uh, were gone. And it wasn't like that I, you know, it wasn't like I went from homosexual to heterosexual. Um, it was like I went from homosexual to holy, you know, because God doesn't want it's not about going from heterosexual or homosexual to heterosexual. It's really about being holy. There's a lot of homosexuals that choose to be holy and not engage in sexual relationships uh, that are same sex. Mm -hmm. And so uh, really, uh, as long as you're striving for holiness, uh, you can maintain, uh, you know, your, your identity, but the, the, the really, it comes down to uh, uh, any sexual relationship outside God's design, which is the one man, one woman marriage is outside of God's design. And so I realized that. And when the Holy Spirit came in that day, he, he gave me a new mind and, and took all away those same sex desires. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't consider myself again, though, Jeffrey saying I went from homosexual to heterosexual. It was all about going from homosexual to being holy, you know, to pursuing holiness and, and wanting to strive to be right in front of God. Besides the obvious, are there any other ways that you changed after this experience? Well, I think that I, I think that some of my uh, uh, effeminate qualities went away. You know, I uh, <clears throat> I used to be a, a soprano in the choir. I can't even sing a note right now, Jeffrey. Mm. Uh, I, I used to have a lot of qualities that. Uh, would be considered, uh, you know, identifiable that I was, I would be gay and they sort of went away as well. Um, but my mind was clear. It was a new day. It, the peace of God came over me and wiped all that old stuff away. You know, it's, it says in the word that you are become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. So it was almost like he, he threw away the old and he brought the new in. And, and that's when my life changed. Are there any other ways that you noticed that you changed besides that, like just something else? Mm. 
besides becoming holy and more masculine? Something that you would maybe not think about normally, but then you'd go, oh, I never really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I started looking at women more. I started mm-hmm. having more of a desire uh, for the opposite sex. Uh, um, I started, uh, I, I guess, living life a little bit more masculine than I mm-hmm. did prior. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of things that I wouldn't do. I wouldn't uh, do things that I do today. Like, I, <coughs> excuse me, I would never uh, go out and, you know, hunt or, or do any of the guy things. And, right. And now, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of that, you know, it's, it, it's just, it, it, it changed my life that day. It absolutely changed my life. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever share my story wanting to uh, bring condemnation or anything on the LGBT community or anybody's in, in a relationship that's outside that. But I just want to share what happened to me, you know, right. everyone is different. Everyone has their way, has their path has, has where, you know, God is leading them. This is how God led me out of it. And not necessarily that that's going to happen to anybody else, or that's anybody's desire. You know, I, I when I go and share, uh, I always want to share that we, we first need to love everyone. It's all about loving others. Uh, you know, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't reach anybody through condemnation or, or rejection or, or any of that. So I'm not here to, to speak, anything against anybody else. I just wanted to share my story. Um, you know, it's really real to me and, uh, it did happen. I I had all kinds of family around me. I have, I have thousands of pages of medical reports, uh, that documented every single day I was in the hospital. Um, and it was just real. So I, I really appreciate you let me have this opportunity. Well, I appreciate you being here. I watched this video of Tony Robbins. Do you know who Tony Robbins is, the speaker? And he was speaking to a teenager. And the teenager, at some point in his life, he had a sister. And he realized that when he became feminine, he would get more attention, maybe even more love from his family or his parents. So at that point in his life, he changed. And so I was just kind of wondering, I mean, this may or may not be true to me for you. I'm just curious that you had three brothers. You had a lot of, you know, a big family that maybe at some point in your life, you became feminine just to fight for attention and get more attention that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a a good observation, Jeffrey. I've always said that because I had three older brothers, uh, my dad would take them with him and then I would be the one that I would be with my mother. So if, if there was ever growing up, um, I was always the one that stayed home with my mom and my three brothers would go and go out fishing with my dad. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I, ha- I hung out more with my mother than I, I, I had with anybody else. So I, I felt maybe that that sort of caused this, uh, this desire, this need, this, this sort of, uh, time that maybe there was some brokenness there in my life Mm -hmm. that allowed during in that brokenness uh allowed these different thoughts to start occurring in my mind that made me feel more effeminate and made me move in that direction Mm -hmm. but i I know very clear growing up also that that i was uh i was told by other people that that i was uh, the gay brother Uh, so whenever any when I was around my other brothers, they would say, "Well, Mark is the gay brother." Right. So they they were also speaking that before I even knew what gay was. Oh, interesting. So I, 
Yeah, so I, I think also words, you know, there's a proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so I think words matter sometimes. And I think that I think sometimes it, it happened in that way. But I, I agree. I think that there's there's some truth to that. What you were mentioning about uh, Tony Robbins. Have you had any negative after effects from this experience? Well, I, I would say the only thing health wise, I've had some negative experiences. Um, I had uh, I had another in 2010. I had another uh, long year in 2010 of being in the hospital and uh, going in and out of the hospital uh, because of the drugs uh, that they were filling my feeding tube with uh, during my ICU stay. Uh, my pancreas uh, has totally failed, and in 2010, I I had a pancreatic attack, and um, so. Um, you know, health-wise, I'm a uh, insulin-dependent diabetic uh, now because I have no longer a functioning pancreas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but I know that there's opportunity for that to be healed. But you know, in the Bible, uh, it talks about the thorn in your side. You know that sometimes uh, God will uh, provide you with some sort of issue that reminds you of what you went through. And so, I think that the diabetes, maybe uh, God's way of saying, yeah it keeps reminding me of what he pulled me out of and what God brought me through and, and through all those other health issues. Do you fear death at all? I absolutely do not fear death anymore. No, not at all. Because I, I remember when I came back from that NDE, the, the peace of God was so strong, Jeffrey, in that ICU that it just enveloped my whole body. And I remember when that the wind came in my room that day and removed uh, Satan and the demonic, it, it was a, a a huge amount of peace that just fell over me. And if that's just a glimpse of what heaven is like, I have I, I cannot wait to get to heaven uh, because uh, the peace was so strong that I I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't I, I want to be you know when they say when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. You know, that's that's what I want. I, the moment I leave this earth, I'll be immediately in the presence of the Lord. So I don't fear it at all. What do you think inspires you about your experience? I think the fact that, uh, you know, I never growing up thought that God could do anything he wanted and God couldn't do everything he wanted. But after this experience, I realized that that all things are possible with God. You know, what God did for me, he could do for anybody, you know, and and the the fact that I was able just to say his name at the point of death, you know, at the point of not coming back at all. I just said his name. And if you go into scripture, I didn't know this, but if you go into the scripture, it, it says for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. You know, that's right there, black and white. So for me to be able to just call his name and I was saved at that very last moment, and it reflects what Scripture says, I mean, that just inspires me every day to make sure everyone knows, no matter what they're going through, no matter what difficult situation, no matter what struggle they're in, however they're broken, at the last minute, you can call on the name of Jesus, and you will be saved. Did you ever speak to the doctor that said you weren't going to make it? Yeah, yeah. I went back uh, multiple times to see Dr. Waldenberger, Dr. Mm -hmm. Campo, uh, my, uh, Walderberger was my admitting doctor, my internal medicine doctor. 
Campa was my pulmonologist who really uh, worked on my lungs. Um, and I remember walking in Campo's office uh, for my follow-up, and he said, there's no way I believe that you're standing here uh, before me. There is no way. And uh, even days before leaving the hospital, Jeffrey, uh, the doctors, all the doctors had come into my room, and they said that we are outfitting your home with oxygen and tubing for your entire house. And they said that you're not going to ever be without oxygen ever again. Your lungs are so damaged that you will never breathe on your own. You will always have oxygen with you. And so Campo was just blown away. He couldn't believe it that I walked out of that hospital and I didn't have any oxygen attached to me. Uh, and my lungs, he took pictures of my lungs that day and he said that he's never seen lungs without any scars. And he says, your, your lungs have zero scars. And he says that I've dealt with many people who have had lung issues uh, not as bad as yours, and they've always had scars on their lungs. And they said, you have zero scars. What about... So it really was a miracle. What about Dr. What was his name? Wettenberger? Westenberger? Uh, uh, Wald, Waldenberger. Waldenberger. What did he say? Well, Waldenberger was... Um, you know, he's not someone that I had interacted with following uh, my rehab, only because he was just the admitting doctor. He's the one that was giving the reports as they were putting me into the coma. I never saw Walderberg again, um, uh, but I do remember the last thing that he said to me, because uh, I could not respond to him before he put me in the coma. Um, you know, he really said, he said again, he said, there's really no hope. And, and he, he gave me a thumbs down. He, he, he just thumbs down me. And he did the same for my parents. So I never got to interact with Walderberg again. Uh, but I did with pulmonologists. I did with my infectious disease doctor. He said he couldn't believe that uh, someone with such a high rate of viral load uh, that the day uh, on uh, that 23rd of March, that the next day I had, I had zero um I was undetectable, zero, uh, less than 1% viral load. Uh, so it was just a lot of amazing things. One of the things that I love about your experience or your story is your family, how they came and how your brother refused to, you know, to say that or to believe that you're not going to make it. Yeah. He's, he, he was sort of the, uh, you know, my brother and I, he, um, he was the one that really knew, uh, the only one in my family that really knew the extent of my my past uh, life, uh, of what I was involved with, how serious things were. So for him to know the seriousness of what was going on, and for him to to boldly stand up and, and say that we don't believe that we we have faith in God, uh, yeah, that was pretty wild. But I had I had all my brothers, their wives, uh, my sister. All my nephews and nieces, uh, they're pretty much all in the waiting room. So they they pretty much camped out there. Um, you know, I, I uh, entered the hospital February 28th of 2008. I was released June 2nd. So for a solid three months, they, they really were camping out. Um, minus a few days here and there, they were all there. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you. Are you okay with that? And if so, how can they reach you? Um, they can reach me via my email address uh, if they choose, uh, which is my first, middle, and last name at yahoo.com. Mm -hmm. So it's Mark Andrew Nelson, 
all one word at yahoo.com. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really important for everyone uh, to know that you know every everyone's story is different, and uh, that you know the, the love of God is so great for everybody, um, and that is important that we know that He loves every one of us, and that He's there for us. And uh, and just like I was saying before that even what you're anything you're going through with a struggle, brokenness, hurt, any kind of anger, anything you're going through, you can always call on his name and he will be there for you. He is there for you all the time. He loves you. And uh, yeah, I'm just so excited to share that uh, story. Well, that's a great message. Mark, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeffrey. God bless you. Thank you and God bless you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.